Well, good morning, guys. Well, that's hot. Um, it's set for you, and man, okay. Are you enjoying the 73 degrees every single day thing that we have in Seattle right now? My goodness, man. Well, okay, I got a couple of announcements and only a couple. The first is soccer club. Are you guys kidding me? This is happening. And by the way, oh, man, uh, we have, like, our coaching staff is complete. It's full. It's everything we need. We're going to have, right now, we have, like, 140 kids signed up. So soccer club is, is pretty full. Um, and we're just excited to get this thing going. It's going to be awesome. The, the one place that we still really need help is that after club on Friday, so it runs Monday to Friday, after club on Friday, we do like a big block party here at the church. Um, we feed everybody and we do awards and we do some cool stuff here. And that's a big part of, of what happens. And connecting most of the people that are coming to this don't go to our church. So that helps them kind of identify that there is a church that's connected to this. And so the last time we did soccer club two years ago, we tried that, and it was an amazing, amazing time. So we could still use some volunteers for that. If you're like, I could help on Friday afternoon, maybe that's all you could do, that would be a big deal. So you guys, I'm so excited about this. The coach pairings are all set. Uh, I've got second graders all week long. Logan DeSanctis is my wingman. It's going to be a good time, so uh, very, very cool. The other announcement that I have is that we have online communication cards, and so if you were wanting to, say, help on Friday with Soccer Club, the way that you would let us know is to go online, brookviewchurch.com, and then click Contact. Just click on Contact and fill out your communication card and let us know that you might be able to help with that or Anything else you might want to do, as well as just give us prayer requests. We have a team of people that prays for whoever has prayer requests during the week. Um, or if you just want to say the announcements, dude, was especially awesome this morning. Wouldn't mind hearing that. Um, the last, very last thing is this morning, as you can see, I'm doing announcements, which means I'm not speaking and giving the message. But my friend Bryce is here, and um, let's go. And I actually get to, this is my second time with Bryce. I went up to his house this week in Arlington, and, um, and we had lunch together, and he bought me Jimmy John's. It was big time. Um, and he just showed me all around his house. And you guys, this guy is like a renaissance man. He's, he kayaks. He modifies his house. He, he's got a, a stage built in his living room with a drum kit on it, and he plays drums from his own stage in his own living room. It's, it's really cool. He's got a complete workout set, and when he stands up here, you'll be like, oh, yeah, he does. Um, and he's just got, he, he's learning to play banjo, uh, so he, I was like, dude, do you want to come down and do worship sometime? Would you guys like to see Bryce play banjo someday? Yes. Yes, you would. I don't know, he probably writes poetry and, uh, I don't know, what else do you do, bonsai uh, trees and stuff, so... Uh, anyway, let me pray for us this morning. It's going to be awesome. I'm excited. It's, it's exciting to me every time Bryce is here. Um, so God, I just thank you this morning for, for this group of people that are gathered here, that are online, and that are going to watch later. And uh, God, I just pray, as Rebecca did earlier, that you would fill this place with your spirit. God, I pray that you would, you would move in here in us in a way that is personal. Uh, we come in here walking through all kinds of things in life, and we need to hear from you whether we know it or not. So, God, would you speak to us individually, would you speak to us corporately, and would you make yourself known among us today? In Jesus' name, amen.
Okay. <laughs> I was waiting to see the way of Jesus. <laughs> More to follow. Oh, boy, uh, Jason, that introduction. Oh, my goodness. I love you guys. want you to know that. Um, it's so sweet to be here. I must have been really looking forward to being here today, though. I woke up at like 3 o'clock. Then I woke up at 5.30, and I was like wide awake, and I'm going, I don't have to get up yet. So then I was able to fall back asleep, but at least it, you know a pastor is anxious when he has a dream that he's actually sitting in the front row in his pajamas or worse. <laughs> I didn't have one of those dreams, fortunately, so anyway. No, it's great to be here with you and get to, to share what God has been uh, teaching me and showing me, and so I, I, I've been challenged by this, and I hope uh, it'll be a challenge to you as well. So uh, it, was, it was about exactly a month ago. I was sitting with three of my four kids in a little restaurant in Sylvana, Jim and Willow's Cafe. Anybody been there? Ah, yeah. Beautiful place. If you just even order one pancake, it's like flowing over the plate. I mean, and the owners are great people. They're, they're strong believers and uh, really sweet people. So I was getting celebrated for Father's Day weekend, and all of a sudden there's a tap on my shoulder, and lo and behold, there was my son from Redding, California. He had flown in the night before and surprised me with a visit. And that was so sweet. And, uh, and I miss him terribly uh, since he... Um, let's go. And I actually get to... This is my second time with Bryce. I went up to his house this week in Arlington and, um, and we had lunch together and he bought me Jimmy John's. It was big time. Um, and he just showed me all around his house. And you guys, this guy is like a renaissance man. He's, he kayaks, he modifies his house, he, he's got a, a stage built in his living room with a drum kit on it, and he plays drums from his own stage in his own living room. It's, it's really cool. He's got a complete workout set, and when he stands up here, you'll be like, oh yeah, he does. Um, and he's just got, he, he's learning to play banjo, uh, so he, I was like, dude, do you want to come down and do worship sometime? Would you guys like to see Bryce play banjo someday? Yes. Yes, you would. I don't know. He probably writes poetry and uh, I don't know. What else do you do? Bonsai uh, trees and stuff. So uh, anyway, let me pray for us this morning. It's going to be awesome. I'm excited. It's, it's exciting to me every time Bryce is here. Um, so God, I just thank you this morning for, for this group of people that are gathered here, that are online, and that are going to watch later. And uh, God, I just pray, as Rebecca did earlier, that you would fill this place with your spirit. God, I pray that you would, you would move in here in us in a way that is personal. Uh, we come in here walking through all kinds of things in life, and we need to hear from you whether we know it or not. So God, would you speak to us individually? Would you speak to us corporately? And would you make yourself known among us today? In Jesus' name, amen.
Okay. <laughs> I was waiting to see the way of Jesus. <laughs> More to follow. Oh, boy, uh, Jason, that introduction. Oh, my goodness. I love you guys. I want you to know that. Um, it's so sweet to be here. I must have been really looking forward to being here today, though. I woke up at like 3 o'clock. Then I woke up at 5.30, and I was like wide awake, and I'm going, I don't have to get up yet. So then I was able to fall back asleep, but at least it, you know a pastor's anxious when he has a dream that he's actually sitting in the front row in his pajamas or worse. <laughs> I didn't have one of those dreams, fortunately, so anyway. No, it's great to be here with you and get to, to share what God has been uh, teaching me and showing me, and so I, I, I've been challenged by this, and I hope uh, it'll be a challenge to you as well. So uh, it, was, it was about exactly a month ago. I was sitting with three of my four kids in a little restaurant in Sylvana, Jim and Willow's Cafe. Anybody been there? Ah, yeah. Beautiful place. If you just even order one pancake, it's like flowing over the plate. I mean, and the owners are great people. They're, they're strong believers and uh, really sweet people. So I was getting celebrated for Father's Day weekend, and all of a sudden there's a tap on my shoulder, and lo and behold, there was my son from Redding, California. He had flown in the night before and surprised me with a visit. And that was so sweet. And, uh, and I miss him terribly uh, since he doesn't live in the area. But we, uh, we went riding motorcycles for a couple days and oh, had a... Motorcycle. Oh. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I'm bigger than life. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, while my son was here, I'll have to get back on track here. <laughs> um, while my son was here, though, he, he turned me on to a show that he'd been watching on Netflix, and it's that um, survival reality show called Alone. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know where I've been because it's got eight seasons, and I picked it up in season seven. And so we watched a few of those shows together. Love it. I have a lot of binge watching to do to catch up. But season seven takes place up in the Northwest Territories of Canada in a very uh, remote and rugged wilderness area. And if you haven't seen the show, basically 10 contestants are dropped off in a very remote area. And each are in a five to 10 mile square radius all by themselves. And it's up to them to survive for 100 days and hopefully win the prize of a million dollars. Now, um, they get to choose 10 items to bring, so some are, are bringing bows and arrows and uh, hatchets and axes, of course, to cut firewood and all that, and, and fire starter, of course, that's very critical. You'll want to keep warm and cook your food, and, and gill nets for fishing, because uh, they are around uh, parts of a really huge lake up there in Season 7. But they are, and also they're given a video camera kit. They have to self-document the experience. And, you know, there's no Motel 6, no McDonald's, you know. And so they have to record what's going on in this whole adventure. But it's a harsh environment. And they are tested to the limits, uh, their grit and determination, their ability to be self-sufficient and survive off the land. It is a fascinating show to watch. From the comforts of my living room. <laughs> um, there's nothing in me really that wishes I was on the show. 
Now, in a couple weeks, I'll be back in Montana and go on a little backpacking trip. But, you know, after three nights of sleeping on the hard ground, I cannot wait to jump back onto a really nice, cushy mattress and have a good night's sleep. But I am more than happy to watch others brave that challenge. <laughs> We're going to look at 1 Peter, uh, Peter's letter as he writes to believers that are scattered throughout Asia Minor. And uh, they're in a very harsh and difficult and challenging environment. Uh, in fact, it's not popular to be a Christian in those days. Uh, to identify as a Christian, automatically that would make you an outsider with the world and basically an enemy of the state as during this time the emperor Nero was persecuting Christians and you probably remember maybe a story in history where a fire went on in Rome and next thing you know Nero was blaming the Christians and there was suspicion that perhaps Nero had actually started that fire himself and just blamed it on the Christians. So Christians were being persecuted and no, many, no doubt many Christ followers had lost family and friends, occupations, livelihoods, homes, even their own lives. And Peter writes to encourage them that all is not lost. As God's people, yes, they are strangers in the world, even aliens. They are slandered and rejected and mistreated by the world, but they still are incredibly loved by God. According to God, they're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people belonging to God who has called them out of darkness into His wonderful light. He reminds them that they have a wonderful future ahead. Yes, they're going through suffering, but they have been brought into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven until the completion of their salvation when one day Jesus Christ would return. So we're going to be camping a little bit in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11 today. And uh, Peter is going to share how to live as a church in hostile territory. If anything, he's giving the church a game plan or a survival strategy so the church will be productive, that they'll be a positive witness in the world, that they'll be proactive in their faith, protected in their community, and persevering as they head toward the goal, the completion of their salvation. So today I'd like to share with you four survival strategies that Peter gives the believers that will be of great benefit in the last days, and they are certainly good for us today. So let's begin. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, it says this, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. The end of all things is near. Uh, Peter had already shared they're living in the last times. They're living in the final stages of God's redemptive plan. Uh, the emphasis in the original language is not so much uh, a specific chronological period of time, but it gives this sense of there is something being fulfilled and nearing its completion. Something is getting wrapped up. Now, I've been working on a home remodel, and Jason was over this week, and I was taking them all through the house with all the different things that have been done, and I still have a ways to go. But, you know, if I told you that my home remodel, the end of my home remodel is near, what I'm not saying is it's going to be done by Wednesday. There's another word for that. 
It's, it's called a miracle, actually. <laughs> Rather, what I'm saying is I am nearing the completion of the renovations that I wanted to make in my home. I'm nearing completion in terms of the end goal. And when Peter states the end of all things is near, he's saying the goal to which all the events have been leading up to is the completion of their salvation. There have been major events along the way in salvation history. If we go back into the Old Testament, we see creation, the fall, the calling of Abraham, the exodus of the children of Israel out of Egypt, and we see the kingdom of Israel being established. Later, we see the exile into Babylon and then their return. We walk into the New Testament, we see the birth of Christ, His death, His life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension into heaven and the outpouring of His Spirit to establish the church. And by the time Peter writes, the church has been established for about 30 years. So when Peter says the end of all things is near, you got to think this. It was true then and even more true today. The same truth is repeated by other New Testament writers. In Titus, we see we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. James writes this, be patient and stand firm. The Lord's coming is near. Paul says in Romans 13, do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than we first believed. So certainly the return of Christ is the next main event. Now it's interesting when you talk about the return of Christ, there are a couple extreme responses. Some people think that they have it all figured out and can even set dates. Um, it's interesting, back in 1844, there was a pastor by the name of William Miller, and he was studying the books, the Old Testament books of Ezekiel and Daniel, and then the New Testament book of Revelation, and he decided he could actually calculate and figure out the exact day that Jesus would return. And he uh, scheduled that date for uh, 1844. Uh, in 1844, October 22nd. Now, interestingly, he wrote a book, and then he did some, uh, a speaking tour in the Northeast, and primarily in the state of Massachusetts. And it was said that um, he really gained somewhere between 50,000 to 100,000 followers, people that began to expect that Jesus would return um, on October 22nd, 1844. Very interesting. Um, as the year of the expected apocalypse neared, believers in the prophecy began to give away their belongings, abandon their crops, sell their land. In the town of Harvard, one man sold his cows at great sacrifice because there would be no one to take care of them when he was taken up. Women in the Worcester area cut off their hair, and I wasn't sure why. Maybe you move faster through the air, I don't know. Um, they removed the ruffles from their dresses, threw or gave away their jewelry, and in some cases, everything they owned. Others broke up all their furniture, declaring that they would no longer have use for tables or chairs or beds. And wanting to be suitably attired for heaven, they made long white garments. They called them ascension robes. They were preparing. And, and apparently, they believed Christ was going to return on a mountain, and the, uh, the mountain nearby in Massachusetts was Mount Wachusett. So, the day came, thousands of people wearing ascension robes went up this mountain to await the return of Christ. 
another was a man who had arthritis. He couldn't make the climb. So what he did was he climbed the tallest apple tree in his yard and perched there for the evening. Another family in another town did the very same thing. They, they got into an apple tree and all perched there wearing their ascension robes awaiting the return of Christ. And it didn't happen. And a lot of people were incredibly devastated. Well, that's one extreme. I think the other extreme is figuring that end time stuff is so complicated and too difficult to understand that we avoid it completely altogether. And that's another extreme. Peter really isn't concerned that we have all our end times events figured out. Rather, he gives survival strategies to the church as we live in these days. And so his first survival strategy is this, pray seriously. He says, the end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Don't quit your job, don't sell your stock, don't max out your credit cards, even though that's kind of a cool idea. Um, <laughs> don't sell the farm, don't climb a mountain, don't get up in an apple tree wearing your ascension robe, don't panic, don't become anxious. Rather, he says this, be clear-minded or sane. Think about things and evaluate your situation maturely and correctly and, and be self-controlled. Or another word we could use there is be sober. Don't be careless. Be spiritually alert. Don't be intoxicated by anything that would throw you off course. Keep a clear head so that you can pray appropriately and effectively. I was thinking about this, and I wonder if Peter maybe had a flashback as he was talking about prayer. Um, I don't know if you remember when he was with Jesus, and it was the night that Jesus was arrested, and they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus invites Peter, James, and John to go a little farther into the garden with him to pray. He says to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. And later, Jesus finds them, and they're just, they're sacked, they're sleeping. And he says, could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. I have a feeling that was a lingering memory in the mind of Peter. And he says here, be clear-minded. Know what's going on. Be self-controlled. Don't lose your spiritual concentration. Stay on course. Be alert so that you can pray. And I think those are good words for us today. I think it's important for the church. As we near the end, prayer is so vital and so key. Keep in connection with God. It's a survival strategy. Pray seriously. He goes on in verse 8, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Above all, love each other deeply. Here he's pointing out love is, is to be a priority. We know in the Bible that Jesus said, All men will know that you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. It's a priority. 1 Corinthians 13, uh, we sometimes refer to it as a love chapter, and it begins by saying, hey, you can have all these gifts, and you can be doing all these good things, and you can be a sparkling church attender, but if you don't have love, it doesn't amount to anything. Love is to be a priority. Second survival strategy is this, love deeply. Love earnestly, sincerely, intensely. Uh, anybody grow up in Minnesota? Midwest? Used to some snow? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, it's so funny to live out here and, you know, you, you go looking for a shovel, can't find one when there's snow. But, you know, I went to college in Minnesota and the winters are so long and so harsh and so cold that uh, we loved it when spring would start to, to show itself as the grass would kind of peek out of the snow. We'd get all excited because we had been out, uh, indoors for a long time. And um, so the school one year, it was, it was springtime, and they decided that they were going to do a fundraiser for missions, and they called it a fun run. And I know that seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? <laughs> fun and run. Um, and we had been indoors for the whole winter, so we were not in running shape, really. But um, I signed up for the 10K. And uh, yeah, that was smart. Yeah, really. But I noticed there was another guy that signed up for the 10K, and his name was Tommy. He was actually from my hometown. I was living in Montana at the time. And um, Tommy was a runner. Tommy would boast and brag about how many miles he'd put in. And it was real common for Tommy to go off for a 10-mile run, 12-mile run. And I noticed that he was in the race. And, and, and so we began the race that day. And I was so surprised that Tommy was behind me. And I made a decision right then. I am going to keep Tommy in my rearview mirror. I'll tell you what. I was dying. I wanted to stop. Um, Man, I was so tired, and, but knowing Tommy was behind me kept me moving forward, and I kept straining forward, and I know it was grit, determination, and I know this, a little bit of competitive pride, and I was able to finish the race and keep Tommy behind me. Now, it's interesting, when Peter says, love one another deeply, the sense that Peter is really giving in the original language is really saying, I want you to strain at this thing. I want you to be fervent in your love. You are going to feel like quitting. It's going to get tough. But I want you to keep going, keep straining forward, even when you don't feel like it. Love is so critical. More, even more important when the end draws near. From what I see in Scripture, there's going to be pressures and stresses, trials and tribulations, and relationships will be put to the test. In fact, in Matthew 24, it says, the love of many will grow cold in the last times. And isn't it true when, when pressures and challenges and stress comes along, it puts a strain on relationships. Even more important to press in and love and love well. And it takes work. It takes perseverance. Above all, love each other deeply. And then it adds this phrase, because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, there's a verse in Proverbs chapter 10, hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers over all wrongs. What Peter's not saying is, you know what, we can just sweep sin under the rug and avoid it. Or he's not saying we should ignore it, Uh, there's no need for repentance. Here's what he's saying, this kind of love can offer grace in such a way that small offenses don't have to become big offenses. When the body is loving in this way, when they seek to overlook offenses, they can forgive quickly. They don't become easily offended. They don't allow the enemy to get the upper hand in an attempt to divide and destroy the unity in the body. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15 says this, make every effort to live in peace with all men so that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble 
and defile many. You know, you have to think, in Peter's day, uh, the believers didn't gather in large buildings with hundreds of people. They were basically house churches. So you have pockets or handfuls of believers here and there. Can you imagine if the unity among those handfuls of people were broken by a bitter root? Can you imagine what that would do to that house church? Now, in our culture, especially in the U.S., if church members get upset, all we have to do is walk down the street and find another church. (laughs) That wasn't the case in Peter's day. I can't help but think of the fictitious story of a man who was shipwrecked on a deserted island. He was an industrious, hardworking sort of man. So by the time he was rescued 15 years later, he had managed to transform the island into a collection of roads and buildings. The people who rescued him were amazed at all his accomplishments. and In fact, they asked him for a tour of the island, and he was very happy to oblige He began the tour. He said, that building over on the left, that's that's my home. You'll see I have a comfortable three-bedroom estate, and I've got indoor plumbing, and I've got a sprinkler system, uh, and that's my storage shed in the backyard for the yard tools, and you know, the rescue party, they were so amazed. In fact, it was better than some of their homes on the mainland. And he goes, that building over there, that's a store where I do my grocery shopping, and next to it, that's the bank, that's where I do my banking, and across the street, that's the gym I work out at. And they were impressed. They said, "Uh, what about those two other buildings over there? He goes, well, that building on the left, that's where I go to church. They said, what about the building on the right? He goes, that's where I used to go to church. (laughs) Love is so important. This kind of expression of grace keeps unity and peace. And you know, it's a powerful witness to a watching world that wants to see what's really genuine, what's real. Is the love that is proclaimed among the believers a real thing? Is God really that powerful? Can He change lives? Pray seriously, love deeply, and let's look at the next survival strategy. It says in verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Interesting, we we probably don't hear a lot on hospitality. But here's the strategy, share joyfully. Uh, Peter uses this term, kind of a broad term, uh, offer hospitality to one another. I was thinking about this, it's really easy to be hospitable to our really, really good friends. You know, they invite us over for a barbecue, and then we reciprocate. We invite them over to a barbecue. We like doing things together because we're just good friends. They're lovable people. They're fun to be with, and we, we have the barbecue, and we play cribbage or caton or cornhole or, or twister or marbles, whatever you do with your good friends. <laughs> but you know, this word hospitality can include the love of strangers, In Peter's day, hospitality was so important. For one thing, if you're going to have a church, somebody had to open up their home. That's hospitality right there. And then there were traveling teachers. And then you have to think, Peter was circulating his letter among the various churches in Asia Minor. Somebody had to carry that letter. It didn't come in an email, you know? And then um, certainly... Believers that were being persecuted in different areas, perhaps even lost their homes. 
would be fleeing and need a place to stay. So overnight accommodations was really important. So hospitality was such a gift that the church could offer. But it's interesting, he says, without grumbling, without complaining, without whining. You know, there's a cost to serving up this kind of love. It's not always convenient. It disrupts your space, your privacy. It could be costly. And it could be a chore. Uh, Guests could maybe overstay their welcome. You know, I was thinking, uh, some cultures are so good at hospitality. Uh, I've been to Russia several times, and the believers over there, I, I can't say enough good things about their hospitality. Uh, they're beautiful people. And they invite you into their home, and, and over there, you know what I'm talking about. They, their master bedroom is typically the living room, because <laughs> they have a couch that rolls out into a bed. It's not like they have a whole bunch of rooms. We have rooms for everything that we do, you know. Uh, like I have a sewing room. That's another thing you didn't mention. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't show you that room. <laughs> I was too cool. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, that's that's my leather working room. I, I make saddles. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway. <laughs> Somebody said once about me, they said, only believe about 50% of what he says. (laughs) Anyway, back to Russia. Um, They are incredible hosts. They give you the best that they have. You know that they don't have a lot to give, but you know what? They're they're giving up their their master bedroom for you, and they're sleeping in their kid's room. And I remember visiting over there once, and I, I was surprised in this little apartment building, there was such a nice shower, and you know what I found out is they went out and actually bought a shower and had it installed knowing that I was coming to stay with them. Wow. Talk about humbling, you know? And they, they, they serve and wait on you, and they're always, trying, they're always giving you chai at night, you know, and trying to, you know, I gain a lot of weight when I'm over there. But they do all this with joy. They love being hosts. And um, I was thinking, you know, in our part of the country, I don't know if we're always necessarily that hospitable. Uh, We do have our good friends that we like to do things in, but I think, especially in this part of the country, we have a high value on our privacy, our independence, and even just being alone. And I know that COVID hasn't been that helpful, you know, um, Social distancing and hospitality really seem like opposing terms, don't they? (laughs) A little bit. It's interesting in the New Testament that five times hospitality is mentioned, and twice it's given as a qualification for either being a deacon or an elder. Hospitality. And here it's a command. It's a survival strategy for the whole body. And it takes work. It takes grace. But it's the natural outworking that flows from a genuine and sincere earnest love. Let me ask you this. Do you see your home as a gift that God's given to you, whether big or small, a gift that you can use to serve others? When's the last time you had someone over to your house that wasn't somebody in your inner circle of friends? Do you love others in such a way that even if they're a stranger, they feel comfortable in your home and feel welcomed? You know, as we near the end, it will be even more important to be together as believers in community, in fellowship, practicing hospitality 
to fight against loneliness and discouragement and disconnection. There's a verse we often refer to in Hebrews 10.25, and we often kind of apply it to gathering together on a weekend, but I think it's bigger than that. It says this, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Pray seriously, love deeply, share joyfully. And finally, Peter's going to add a fourth survival strategy, and it's this, serve faithfully. He says in verses 10 and 11, each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Peter's not building a case here to really decide whether we have a gift or not. He's assuming here already that we've been given at least one. Uh, A spiritual gift might be defined as this. A special divine empowerment given to each believer by the Holy Spirit to accomplish a given ministry God's way according to His grace and discernment to be used within the context of the body of Christ. So what I'm saying there is it's divinely sourced by God. It's to accomplish a purpose, a given ministry. And it's really God-given. It's not manufactured by us or by the believer and God knows just what the body needs, and so He gifts accordingly. And, you know, He looks at Brookview and He goes, you know what, we need someone with the gift of leadership. I'm going to give the gift to Him. And we, we need someone with the gift of mercy, and He hands that gift out to somebody else. And we need somebody else in the gift of serving. And, you know, it's interesting, we have these lists in the Bible, and they're not exhaustive. I think they're just a sampling of the gifts that God has given We find them in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and and, uh, Ephesians 4. And God sees what the church needs and He gifts accordingly. Using our gift is a practical expression of the love we're to have for one another. In fact, He uses the word faithfully administering. And there's another word that we could throw in there that's really a synonymous term. It's stewardship. In Peter's day, a steward was a person that was put in charge of managing a homeowner's business or property. That was a steward. What a great analogy. We have been given a gift, and we are to steward the gift that has come from God and administer it in the way that God has intended for the strengthening of the church. Do you know how God has gifted you? Are you using your gift in service? to one another for the purpose of building up the body. Um, I have the privilege of uh, being dean of a, a school north, many of you already know that, Reach Training Institute, and it's kind of cool this year we'll have our cohort one going in as juniors, that's cool. Uh, I've been building a new cohort, cohort to start this year in the fall, and uh, so far I have five students accepted and two are in the pipeline applying. And uh, I fully expect that they'll be in, so we're looking at seven, and I'm still recruiting. Um, But I'm so excited. I was teaching a class last term. It was called The Life and Ministry of Jesus, and we were looking at the Gospels and just saying, how did Jesus do ministry? How did He disciple? How did He build people up? And uh, the final project for the students was they were to write a final paper 
using the findings that we discussed in class, and it was to be titled, My Philosophy of Ministry, as if, and they will be, going into churches to serve one day, what do you see in the life of Jesus that you want to take with you as you walk into ministry? And uh, one of my students, I loved how he worked um, one of his points through because he really noticed when Jesus sent out the 72 and sent out the 12 and all that, he empowered them. And he said, I want to empower people to serve. And then he goes to Ephesians 4 and he goes, it's not the pastor's job to do all the ministry, he's to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And uh, I, thought, I thought, he got it, he got it. And I love what it says in Ephesians 4.16. It says, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You ever been called a supporting ligament? <laughs> I had to go find out what a ligament was. There's a difference between ligament and tendon. Tendon has to do with movement. Ligament has to do with holding the joints together. Can you imagine if we didn't have ligaments in our body? We'd be like a blob, I think, you know? Yeah. So if you're serving here at Brookview, I, I want to tell you, it's a compliment. You're a supporting ligament. Yeah, you're valued, you're important. Just imagine this, a church that realizes they're living in the nearness of Christ's return. Instead of just coasting or getting by, they take to heart God's word to us to pray more seriously, to love more deeply, to share in hospitality joyfully, and to serve more faithfully by using the gifts God has given to them to build up the body. Do you think, do you think that's a church that brings glory to God? I think so. I think so. And you know what? As Peter was sharing these things, uh, you know, sometimes it's kind of fun to try and crawl into the mind of a New Testament writer, but as he is sharing these things, I think something was building up inside of Peter because he ends this section of Scripture with an exclamation point. He ends it with a doxology. Here's what he says. It's like the hallelujah chorus all of a sudden, you know? To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, that's not a statement that you just kind of like crank off as a side comment. I, I mean, really, he's, he is excited. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And He's looking at the church and saying, the church that does these things, guess what? They're going to bring incredible, incredible glory to God. Let me close with this final challenge, uh, just in a real practical way. Is there somebody that comes to mind that you should invite over? Is there someone you need to offer grace and forgive? Is this a call to you to take prayer more seriously? Are you being challenged to step up and begin to serve using the gifts God has given you? Now, I know it's one thing to, for me to stand here and give you the challenge, <laughs> but you know, this challenges me too. And, and here's how it hit me. And you know, fortunately, God doesn't give you five challenges all at once, but this is 
This is how it hit me. I have a next-door neighbor. Uh, his wife left him like two months ago, and I've been praying for him. Now, my neighbor, where we do connect is he's got like a garage full of motorcycles, so we can talk on a motorcycle level, but we've never gotten farther than that. And, and he's not a guy that has a lot of words either. I mean, I'll say hi, and um, I might get a hi or a nod, or I'll say something, and you know, I might get one word or two that comes back, and then he escapes into his garage. Um, so I, I don't have a lot of conversation built up, but I know he doesn't know the Lord. And I, I've been thinking, um, what can I do? And when I, when I uh, was working through this on hospitality, I thought, you know, my neighbor, if I just went over and I'd go, hey, you want to go to church? <laughs> yeah, right, you know. Um, but I've been working on that home remodel. And what I, I, and I'm praying about this because I think that's a starting point. That's what I'd say, whatever God is speaking to you about, start with prayer, okay? But um, I decided what I want to do is I want to invite him over to my home. First of all, I want to invite him and I'll show him through the house, but then I want to sit down for a meal with him. So that's where God's been working this in my own heart. Um, that means I got to get my project done, right? <laughs> anyway, um, but that's, that's where the word, God is working his word into my own life. And so I'm praying right now. I'm praying for my neighbor that he will be in a place that we can really have some good conversation because I know he's hurting. I know he's hurting. And um, so I want to say this, wherever God is taking this in your own life today, we need his help, don't we? And so I'd just love to pray for us as we close today, okay? Father, thank you so much for your word. Um, Lord, I, I thank you that you are for us and not against us, and you love us incredibly. And Lord, you have desires for our lives that we don't even know yet, and you desire to fulfill things uh, in us and through us that we haven't even imagined yet. But I know your plans are good. So Lord, I pray that wherever you are speaking to us, even through the words of Peter. I pray, Lord, that we would follow through with you. And Lord, if we don't know what step to take, Lord, let us just begin with prayer and surrender to you. And Lord, I pray that you would bring the power. We need your power. We can't do it without you. And so, Lord, we call upon you to do the thing that you want to do in our lives and we just ask your blessing on this church and each person in Jesus' name, amen.